Hi, welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. My name is Becky and you have joined us for our series, Seven Stories, where we're looking at some of the standout stories that Jesus told over 2,000 years ago. Although these stories were told long ago, they are uncannily relevant and applicable to our lives today. So get yourself comfortable and let's begin. Morning, everybody. Morning. You join us on part four of this series, Seven Stories, looking at seven stories that Jesus told 2,000 years ago that somehow we still have today and people are still living their lives by them. Some of these stories are slightly more well-known. Some of them are slightly more obscure. I guess the one we're going to be looking at today probably fits somewhere in the middle of those uh, two things. But when preparing for this story today, I was reminded of an event that happened to me five years ago. Five years ago, I first came to the Forge Community Church. For those of you who don't know, uh, I was an intern for a couple of months. And during those two months, I was staying with Steve and Sarah Fenning. Steve is the leader of The Forge. He set it all up 25, 26 years ago. And so I came with this enormous admiration for Steve and Sarah and who they were and all they'd done. And so I obviously wanted to try and impress them a little bit. Obviously wanted to try and give a great first impression, particularly as I was living with them. This was going well until the first Friday I was there. I went out to the base, the uh, open access youth drop-in that we put on on a Friday night. Uh, And afterwards, myself and a few of the leaders went out afterwards for a drink just to catch up, say hi and everything else. And afterwards, I was dropped off back at Mendelsham where Steve and Sarah lived. And I was outside their house in the pitch dark. And I realized that as my lift went off, that I had forgotten the spare key that Sarah had given me. And so at this point, I thought, I really don't know these guys very well. This is going to be really awkward. I don't know what to do. But then as I was approaching up the garden path, I remembered that Sarah had also mentioned that there was a spare key in the shed behind the house, just in case anyone was noticing. So I thought, hey, this is what I'll do. I'll go around, find it. And so as quietly as I possibly could, because, you know, everything seems louder in the dark, I was trying to get around the house. I sort of opened the back gate with, like, point of minimal squeak, got to the shed, opened it up, and I realized that this was going to be a big task. Because not only was it pitch dark, but the Fenning shed is much like I'm sure many of your sheds are, completely full with a whole bunch of array of gardening equipment uh, and bits and bobs you normally find in a shed. And I thought this is very much a needle in haystack situation. And so as I was looking for maybe about 10 minutes, I realized that I would much rather spend the whole night in the shed looking for a key than dare risking a, a risk waking up my hosts. And so maybe another 15 minutes passed and I thought, oh man, this is going to be so awkward if I make a noise which wakes them up now because they're going to look through their bedroom window and find the guy they've only known for a couple of days rummaging through their shed at half past midnight. I thought, this is really awkward. And as I thought that, I turned around and my elbow caught a large bit of metal gardening equipment falling onto a large metal lawnmower which made a short but very considerably loud clang. And so turning around, fearing the worst, hoping that I wouldn't see Steve and Sarah looking outside their bedroom window in a state of confusion, I saw something far worse. In fact, I saw someone far worse. Poppy the dog (laughs) raised her head from behind the window, and I knew I had about like half a second until the inevitable happened. Poppy, if you know Poppy the dog, she's a small dog, but a very loud dog. She started barking and barking and barking and barking and wouldn't stop barking until the confusion was cleared up. I quickly made it out of the shed, decided to go back around to the front of the house and waited at the front door for the inevitable happen uh, to happen. And incidentally, it was Sarah uh, who thought she'd do the brave thing and open up the front door to see what was going on, not Steve. Sarah opened the front door, and I can't remember exactly what she said, but I can remember before getting an apology out, she said something like, it's fine, go to bed. (laughs) 
And something I experienced that night and something I've learned since is this, a true test of a friend's hospitality is how they come through for you at a time of great need during a time of great inconvenience for them. I mean, have you ever had a moment like that, or maybe not like that, but something where you really need something? You've got a big need, and in order to get it, you've got someone who you just can't ask. It's just too big an ask. I mean, maybe they've just had a baby or a bereavement, or there's something going on at work, and you just think, oh man, I really need, but I just can't. I just can't, because there's this awkwardness around it. It's this awkwardness that I think we need to approach the story we're looking at today that Jesus told. This is the story we're going to be looking at. This is what Jesus said to some of his close followers 2,000 years ago. He says this, Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep on knocking long enough, he will eventually give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you're asking for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks will find, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So here we have a man with a great need at the expense of a man who's going to be greatly, uh, greatly disturbed. And we might read this story now and think, well, where on earth is the need in this story? I mean, this is a weird story. Who needs three loaves of bread at midnight? And to understand this a little bit more, we need to understand that our culture of hospitality is vastly different to what it would have looked like in an ancient Eastern world. In a Western world, if someone came round and knocked on the door at midnight, you probably wouldn't be expecting to give them food. And if they did need food, it's all right because our fridges are probably full. And not only that, we live in a world of 24-hour takeaway in Tesco. In the Eastern world, this was different. In the Eastern world, if someone came, and particularly if they were a visitor, it was just this unspoken culture that you would, be, uh, you would put on a feast for the guest. You would be feeding that person. So the fact that this man has no food is just this great embarrassment and awkwardness. So in order to get what he needs, these three loaves of bread, he goes to his neighbor and starts knocking on the door. And consider this as well. This would have uh, probably been, or very possibly been, uh, in the images of the disciples' heads, houses of poverty. I mean, single story, tightly closed communities uh, with uh, maybe one room where the whole family would have stayed together in. And so when he's knocking, he's not just waking up the man in the house. He's probably also waking up his family. He's probably also waking up neighbors. He was going to be the gossip of next day's uh, talk in the community. And the guy starts knocking and knocking and knocking. A man has a great need at the expense of one of his friends. And even in a Western culture, even us, imagine how awkward that would be. Imagine you needing food at midnight or half past midnight or one in the morning, going around and knocking on someone you know, someone you know uh, at their door and trying to ask for food. Imagine how awkward, imagine how stupid you would have to be to do that. You can imagine sort of the audacity that it takes to knock on someone's door whilst they're sleeping, asking for food, asking for something that you probably should just get yourself or be more prepared by. And so the question is left, Jesus, what's the point? 
I mean, what's the point, really? Because whilst it is true that a true test of a friend's hospitality can be found at how they come through for you at a time of great need, at a time of great inconvenience for them, I don't think that's Jesus' main point. I don't think it's Jesus' main point. You see, to understand Jesus' main point, we need to understand why Jesus tells stories. Jesus told stories often in response to questions, questions that were asked of him that probably me and you would want to ask him. Questions like, how do you do this, Jesus? How do you do stuff? When Jesus told stories, though, it was not often to tell people what to do, but instead to tell people about who he was. Jesus was far more concerned in telling people about who he was, because if people knew who he was, they would know instinctively more about how to live. To put it in a term that Dr. Zeus might be proud of, Jesus was less concerned with a do, rather a who, because when you know who, you know what to do. Worked on that all night. When Jesus told stories, it was less often to tell people what to do. He didn't often answer the questions that were asked of him. He gave them a far bigger answer. And so the disciples one day, his followers, come up to him as friends, and they give him a how-do-you-do question, a question that maybe you and I ask. And they ask him this, Jesus, how do you pray? How do you pray? And I mean, this is exactly how they say, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. You can find it in one of the accounts written by one of Jesus' followers, a guy called Luke. How do you pray? And maybe you've asked that question before. Or maybe you've been on the fringes of church or outside the church and you've got an impression from the church on how you should be praying. Maybe it makes you feel a little less comfortable. Maybe you've been told things like this. That you've got to pray if God's going to like you. I mean, if you're not a praying type, if you're not a religious type, I mean, God couldn't possibly like you. And if you ever did give a one-off prayer, maybe you start off a prayer like, hey, God, I really don't do this very often. And, and maybe, I mean, you've stopped listening to me because I've been ignoring you for a long time. And maybe that's the impression of God that you get. Maybe that's the impression of prayer that you've received in church before. Maybe you've heard this myth. Maybe that you have to know all the words. I mean, I've heard from a lot of people, particularly when it comes to, oh man, I can't pray out loud because like, I, I never really seem to find the words. It all comes muddled up and I don't really know what to say and, or, or, or like if I'm going to say something wrong. Maybe for you, that's a myth that you've taught, been heard from church that you need to know all the words. Maybe you've heard this one, that you have to be good before you pray. I mean, I've met people before and they say, I could never walk into a church. I could never pray because if only you knew the things that I had done. Maybe for you, it's this myth. You're not allowed to blank when you pray. You're not allowed to swear when you pray. You're not allowed to uh, be happy when you pray. You're not allowed to laugh when you pray. You're not allowed to fall asleep when you pray. You're not allowed to sneeze when you pray. You're not allowed to something when you pray. And the crazy, ridiculous thing about this is Jesus doesn't say any of this. In fact, when you look through your Bible, your Bible probably won't say, or I say probably, won't say any of this stuff. It's just not what the Bible says. It's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said was far more boring. Am I allowed to say that? In fact, Jesus gave an answer that probably would have made the disciples a little bit discontent and probably makes some of you a little bit more discontent as well. This is what Jesus answered. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. Give us each day the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield into temptation. I mean, maybe you've heard an older, more traditional version of that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that one. When the disciples heard this, I imagine they were probably as discontent as you were because the thing is with this prayer, this wasn't a new prayer. This was a very common prayer. This is a prayer the disciples almost certainly would have prayed maybe even that day with Jesus. 
You see, this prayer is actually based on another prayer that the Jews would have used. They would have grown up saying every day, certainly every week, called the Amidah prayer. It's probably an interpretation or at very least an abbreviation of that. They would have been saying this regularly anyway. And so when they heard this, they were probably like, hey, Jesus, it's not really what we meant. I mean, we were sort of hoping for like a little hidden secret. We were hoping something that maybe would set us apart in some way from John's disciples. I mean, we were hoping that you would give us a, a secret thing that would make us look really good. And so when Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer, as we now know it, they would have probably heard that and been like, yeah, not what we were hoping for. And I think Jesus's point is this, that when you pray, pray how you know. Don't try and find any hidden secret. Don't feel like you need to try and find any special words. There's no unearthed secret out there. Just be real. Just be real for a moment in front of God. Pray in a way that you know to God, because God also knows you. And so Jesus follows this up with this story of the man going around, knocking on people's houses, asking for bread. And remember, Jesus was far more, um, far more concerned with a who than a do. And so maybe when you hear this story now, it probably feeds into an ideology of God that you've had for a long time. Okay, well, in which case, is God really like that? Is God just behind some door in heaven, just waiting for us? And then if we annoy him long enough, he's going to give us something. If we knock hard enough, is he just going to be like, oh, for goodness sake, just go away. Here's your bread. Is that the idea of God? And maybe that is the image of God that you have had in the past. This God who doesn't really care for you. This God that doesn't really want to know you. And that's what you know of God. But what Jesus is saying is exactly the opposite of this. Jesus is saying, listen, if you went to a friend's house and he refused, and he eventually just gave in to persistence, how much more? How much more would your Father in heaven want to give you some bread? The Father in heaven who has the whole cosmos at his disposal who is waiting for you to come, how much more would he want to give you what you need? In fact, this is what Jesus says uh, afterwards, uh, after, directly after in this passage. He says, which of you fathers, so dad's in the room, this is for you. Which of you dads, if your son came and said, dad, I want a fish, how many of you would give him a snake instead? I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Or if he came and asked for an egg, I mean, are you going to give him a scorpion? I mean, of course, it's just ridiculous. It's so absurd. If then, though you, although you are morally corrupt, even though you don't get things right, even though you always get things wrong as parents, even though maybe you might be an absent dad, even though you might just get things wrong after wrong and you might go to sleep at night thinking, oh my word, I'm so getting this wrong. Even though you are morally corrupt, you know how to give good gifts to your children. We all know this innately. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him. How much more, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is waiting behind the door, waiting for you to come. He is there in anticipation, ready. Not because he wants you to beg, not because he wants you to be upset, but because he's a father. He's a father that's waiting for you. I think this is Jesus' point. A true test of a friend's hospitality is how they come through for you at the time of your great need, during a time of great inconvenience for them. And with God, there is no inconvenient time. There is no time, day or night, morning or evening, 
When you're stressed, when you're worried, when you're angry, when you're calm and everything is going okay, there is no inconvenient time for God. God is there waiting, hoping that you'll arrive. This is, I think, what Jesus is saying. Notice what Jesus says at the end of that last passage. He says this, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What does this mean? What does it mean to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now remember, God is far more interested in a who than a do. God doesn't want you just to do more stuff. He wants you to become someone better. He wants you to become someone who is going to become more like him. And so when he gives you your spirit, he's hoping that you're going to come out of a place from where you are into a place that's better. What does it look like to have the Holy Spirit? Well, there's a man called Paul in the New Testament. We say this a lot, but he uh, originally started his journey off trying to commit a Christian genocide. Uh, He was a man who worked for the government. But then he had this crazy encounter with Jesus and all of a sudden completely changed his life and then he became one of the early church leaders writing to churches all around the world hoping that they would then also start following Jesus. And so this ex-genocide, ex-Christian killer then comes to Jesus and he says, listen, this is what it's going to look like when you're transformed. This is what it's going to look like when you get close to who God is. He says this, the fruits of the Holy Spirit The fruits of the Holy Spirit produce this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Listen, I can't promise you. I can't promise you that you are going to have all of your prayers answered in your life. I literally looked at my life and I thought, hey, what are the top three prayers that I've ever prayed? What are the things that I've, I've t- like cried over? What are the things that I've like gritted my teeth, clenched my fist at? What are the things that I've just like begged God for? What are the things that have just kept me up at night? What are the things where it feels like every spare breath in my brain is like trying to communicate to God with? Like, what is that? The top three prayers that I've prayed, none of them came out in the way that I'd hoped they would. None of them. But I have seen prayers that have. And so I can promise you two things. Number one, 100% of the prayers that you don't pray won't be answered. 100% of the prayers you don't pray won't get answered. And genuinely, I'm telling you, I've seen bones be healed. I've seen ligaments in my own leg being told by doctors they were ripped. And then the next week, I've been able to play football. Now, I'm telling you, I'm rubbish at football. I was still rubbish at football. I'm still waiting on that miracle to come. But I could play football the next week. It was just something I couldn't explain. There have been other times where I've prayed to see people and they've literally been around the corner. And it's like, God, explain. Like, I mean, explain that to me. Like, that's crazy. I can speak to God and he answers me. I mean, that's just absurd. I mean, there have been other times where I've prayed for like family dysfunctions, teared apart families, and families have been healed. I've prayed and things have happened. And you're right. I mean, maybe they could just be coincidences. But I've just seen enough of them. I think, well, maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. Maybe God is actually listening to me. And that's just crazy to think. But something I do know is that 100% of the prayers I don't pray won't get answered. And I think in my life, and I'm like, man, imagine. Imagine the missed opportunities there. Imagine if I'd prayed for that. I mean, when I was going through that rough time, I mean, did I ever stop to think of praying as like a, a, a first response rather than a last resort? The other thing I can promise you is this, that when you ask God for God's spirit, he will give it to you. That's what he says at that last bit. Let's look at it again. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and there's no law against these things. Consider right now in your life with your problems, 
in the things that maybe keep you up at night. What would it look like in your life if there was a greater sense of love? What if there was a, you had a greater capacity to be kind? What if through your torment, there was a greater ability to be peaceful? What if through your addictions, you had a greater ability to show self-control or make decisions against yourself that your future self might thank you for? What would that look like? Because that is what God is offering when he wants you to get close to him, when he wants you to spend late nights knocking on his door. So this is what I want you to do. This is your takeaway. This is the things that uh, I think it would be good for us to do. And they're the three probably easiest things you're going to ever be asked to do when you leave a church. Normally, we have a little practical thing to take away. And this is the three that I've got for you today. Number one is this. Ta-da. Pray. Seriously, get some time alone today. Put some time in your diary. Set an alarm on your phone to go off each day at a particular time just to stop whatever you're doing and pray. And if you can, try and pray out loud. And I know for some people, this is quite a big deal. And particularly when you're around other people, this is a big deal. In fact, this could be a really big step of faith for you. But pray out loud, not because God can't hear your inner workings and hear your thoughts. But when you pray out loud, I'm telling you, you know what you've said to God. You know exactly what you've asked God for. And you've stepped out in a way that takes a little bit more than just maybe thinking it. So that's my first thing. Go away and pray. Seriously, today, before you leave church, ask someone, have you put some time in the diary? Have you set an alarm on your phone? Ask that of somebody else today. Number one, pray. Number two, be real. If you want to shout at God, you're allowed to shout at God. If you want to swear at God, I'm telling you, you're allowed to swear at God. If you want to wrestle with God, wrestle with God. And some people are thinking, really, is that allowed? I've never been told this. You're allowed to. I mean, there is a guy in the Old Testament, a guy called King David, one of the greatest of the greats, a guy who was known as a man after God's own heart. And he just shouted at God sometimes. He was like, God, what is going on? There's another Old Testament book called Habakkuk. It's a really small book, about three chapters long. And it's about this man who starts off and just goes, hey, God, what's going on? I don't think you're doing your job right. And then for about three chapters, there's like this debate. And at the end of it, Habakkuk just becomes so much closer to God than he ever thought possible. There's just this greater intimacy in this last chapter, this beautiful thing of saying, hey, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. You're allowed to wrestle with God. In fact, Habakkuk's very name means to wrestle with. When you wrestle with God, I think God doesn't mind it because when you wrestle with him, it forces you to get close to him. It's like when a child runs through the door in tears and crying and is angry. What does a good parent do? He kneels down or she kneels down and scoops them up tight. That is the father God that we worship. God wants you knocking on the door at night, not because he wants you to be upset, but because when you are upset, there is an opportunity for growth. There are others of you maybe that have just prayed the same prayer, day in, day out, time and time again, and it's just become dull and stale for you, and you need to remember that you're praying to the God of the cosmos, who has the whole universe at his disposal, and you need to start praying some bigger prayers. The third one is perhaps the hardest takeaway. Repeat number one and two. Again and again and again, and again, and again. Be persistent. You could be one prayer away from the breakthrough you've been looking for. Repeat numbers one and two. Some of you have been filled with an anxiety for far too long. Some of you have been filled with a timidness when it comes to prayer. Some of you have had an idea of God that he is somehow distant and not wanting of you. And this Father in heaven, Jesus is saying, look, God is someone, I am someone who wants to get close. I am someone 
who when you come to and knock on the door at night, I am there waiting with bread to spare. And I wanna give you my spirit so you can become someone better. Some of you need to go to the door today and knock. Thank you so much for listening. We want to keep the conversation going, so make sure you follow us on our social media accounts at Forge Church. If you want to see or hear more about The Forge, check us out online at forgechurch.com, where there's an opportunity to find out more, a chance to give, and to browse previous series. See you next time. Thank you.